This is Spacetime Series 24, Episode 62, for broadcast on the 2nd of June 2021. Coming up on Spacetime, new evidence of how and when the Milky Way came together, 10 years of space station research on antimatter and cosmic rays, and Virgin Galactic undertakes its first successful test flight from New Mexico. All that and more coming up on Spacetime. Welcome to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. A new study shows that our Milky Way galaxy already had a significant stellar population of its own when it collided with an orbiting satellite galaxy known as Gaia Enceladus, or the Gaia Sausage, about 10 billion years ago. The findings, reported in the journal Nature Astronomy, are providing scientists with a new picture of the early history and evolution of our own galaxy. The study's lead author, Josefina Montalban from the University of Birmingham, says the merging event with Gaia Enceladus is thought to have been one of the most important in the Milky Way's history, shaping how we observe it today. The new data suggests that the Milky Way had already formed a large population of its own stars when the Gaia Enceladus merger occurred. The authors reached their conclusions after detailed studies of around 100 red giant stars, determining their age, chemical composition and kinematics or motion across the sky. The authors use astroseismology to study oscillations in the stars. These are caused by sound waves rippling through a star's internal structure, and it provided a very precise age for each of the stars in the study. By calculating the age of the stars, the authors were also able to determine for the first time that the stars captured from Gaia and Enceladus have very similar or slightly younger ages compared to the majority of stars that were born inside the Milky Way. Many of those Milky Way red giant stars ended up in what's known as the galaxy's thick disk, while those captured from the Gaia sausage are now in the Milky Way's outer halo. The results also show that gravitational perturbations caused by the merger change the orbits of stars already in our galaxy, making them more eccentric, while those from Gaia and Solidus move very differently. And as you'd expect, the chemical composition of the two stellar populations is also very different. The study used a spectroscopic survey called Apogee, which provides the chemical composition of stars to further aid in confirming their ages. The authors are now looking at a larger sample of stars and want to include even more subtle features such as frequency spectra. This will eventually lead to a much sharper view of the Milky Way's assembly history and evolution, creating a timeline of how our galaxy developed. This is space time. Still to come, 10 years of space station research into antimatter and cosmic rays and Virgin Galactic undertakes its first successful test flight from New Mexico. All that and much more still to come on space time. Okay, let's take a break from our show now for a word from our sponsor, NordVPN. You know, protecting your data and enjoying the internet without restrictions is something we all crave. No big tech companies telling you what to do. No hackers or government agencies spying on your every move, which, let's face it, that's pretty creepy. The answer involves using a good virtual private network service. 
And that's where NordVPN comes in. It gives you complete anonymity online, protecting you from snoopers and hackers. And you can use it on any device, including your mobile, tablets, laptops or desktop computers. With NordVPN, you can bypass censorship filters and you get access to websites that are geo-blocked. By using NordVPN, you'll be able to stream videos without buffering, both at home and abroad. And NordVPN lets you enjoy unlimited bandwidth for all your devices, so you don't have to worry about running out of data again. NordVPN lets you protect yourself from cyber attacks by encrypting sensitive information like banking passwords and credit card numbers. That means hackers won't be able to see what's inside your messages if they're intercepted. In fact, NordVPN is simply the world's best virtual private network service. You really need NordVPN. And to help you get started, we have a special offer for you through SpaceTime. Just go to nordvpn.com slash stuartgarry or use the coupon code stuartgarry to get a two-year plan plus one additional month at a huge discount. That URL again is nordvpn.com slash stuartgarry or use the coupon code stuartgarry at the checkout. And you'll find the URL details in the show notes and on the SpaceTime website. That's nordvpn.com slash stuartgarry. And now, it's back to our show. This is Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA's antimatter and cosmic ray detector aboard the International Space Station has passed a major milestone, celebrating 10 years in orbit. The Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer, or AMS, technically the AMS-2, which is mounted on an external truss of the orbiting outpost, is a key instrument in science's ongoing search to understand a mysterious invisible substance known as dark matter. Dark matter is really important. It makes up over 80% of all the matter in the universe. Yet scientists have no idea what it is. They know it exists because they can see its gravitational impact on normal matter, such as holding galaxies together as they rotate. Brought up to the space station on one of the final space shuttle flights, the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer 2 was installed on May 19, 2011, for an initially planned mission of just three years, observing cosmic ray particles and their antimatter counterparts as they bombard the Earth. Data from those observations help scientists understand if cosmic dark matter and antimatter potentially exist in the universe in large quantities as well as understanding the origin and propagation of cosmic ray particles across the Milky Way galaxy. These data may also help scientists better understand radiation risks for future crew missions both to the Moon and Mars, as these cosmic rays can be harmful to humans. Led by Nobel laureate Samuel Ting from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the AMS collaboration involves some 600 physicists, engineers and technicians from 16 nations. AMS-2 has so far collected data from over 175 billion cosmic ray events. NASA's AMS project manager Ken Bolwig says data from the AMS-2 is rigorously filtered, keeping less than 1 in 1,000 events initially recorded. As cosmic rays enter the AMS-2, not all of them travel through each of the instrument's nine unique detectors. And if a cosmic ray particle fails to be measured by all nine detectors, its data isn't stored. Even with its robust filtering, AMS collects and stores data from over 16 billion cosmic ray events annually. Bulwig says AMS is also looking for antimatter at unprecedented accuracies of parts per billion. The massive experiments detected antimatter in the form of antiprotons and positrons. 
Antiprotons are the negatively charged antimatter counterparts to positively charged protons, while positrons are the positively charged antimatter counterparts to negatively charged electrons. AMS2 has allowed scientists to determine that different types of astrophysical sources, such as dark matter and cosmic ray collisions, produce high-energy positrons as opposed to those which produce high-energy electrons, providing insights into the origins of these opposite particles. Other AMS2 research has looked at the unique differences in positron and electron activity at different energy levels. The findings have already led to the publication of more than 17 scientific papers which themselves have been referenced by literally hundreds of other papers and scientific research articles. This report from NASA TV. Humans have observed many wonders across the cosmos, yet much of our universe is still shrouded in mystery. Among those mysteries is the formation of our universe, which should have resulted in a balance of matter and its corresponding counterpart, antimatter. Much of that matter is thought to exist in the form of dark matter, which can't be directly observed. Much of the antimatter can't be found at all. Studying fundamental particles originating from sources up to billions of light years away may hold the key to understanding both the composition and history of our universe. Welcome to the world of particle physics, currently being explored from low Earth orbit by the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer installed on the International Space Station, or ISS. Planets, stars, interstellar gas, dust. What we're able to observe across the universe comprises less than 5% of the total content found throughout the universe. The other 95% is dark. Dark matter as well as dark energy. Dark matter doesn't interact with or produce light as far as we know. It doesn't consist of normal matter, or matter that can be observed directly. So how do you improve understanding of something that can't be observed? One way is to look for evidence of its interactions. Kurt Costello, the ISS program chief scientist at Johnson Space Center, explains how the giant magnet of AMSO2 is working to help scientists test and modify their theories. Scientists are using AMSO2 to look at cosmic rays, charged particles that travel near the speed of light. AMSO2 categorizes each cosmic ray, looking at a high energy range to see whether that stellar phenomena that we can measure can account for all of the cosmic rays we're seeing. But if you see something in the spectra that doesn't fit, then this could be evidence of dark matter interactions. By studying cosmic rays, scientists are also able to search for antimatter. The Big Bang theory of the universe's origin requires a 50-50 ratio of matter to antimatter. But to date, the amount of antimatter found doesn't come close to matching the amount of matter known to exist. Costello says one of the goals of the mission is to detect antimatter and see if there are any large collections of it out there somewhere. When particles pass through the strong magnetic field produced by AMSO2, their paths bend. Antimatter particles stand out because their paths bend in the opposite direction compared to matter particles. 
the instrument searches for antimatter with a sensitivity three orders of magnitude greater than the original AMS, which flew in space in June of 1998 aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery. This could support the discovery of antimatter pools that were previously undetectable. A key factor in our ability to get the most out of AMSO2 is time. Originally expected to have a lifespan of three years, the instrument has continued to perform into its eighth year of operation aboard the orbiting laboratory. In late 2019 and early 2020, astronauts conducted a series of spacewalks to replace AMSO2's cooling pumps, which were failing. Extending the life of the instrument will provide scientists more time in their quest to unveil some of the universe's greatest mysteries. This is Space Time. Still to come, Virgin Galactic undertakes its first successful test flight from New Mexico, and China launches a new ocean monitoring satellite. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Virgin Galactic has undertaken its first successful high-altitude test flight in more than two years, climbing to an altitude of 89 kilometers above the New Mexico desert. The flight comes after Virgin's last attempt ended abruptly when the spacecraft's hybrid rocket engine suddenly shut down just a second into the burn following a computer glitch caused by electromagnetic interference, and it set the company's testing regime back by several months. The new test flight was the latest in Virgin Galactic's efforts to create a space tourism program. The Burt Rutan scaled composites-built spaceship 2 VSS Unity was carried to an altitude of around 44,000 feet by its White Knight 2 mothership. The VMS Eve is a weird-looking aircraft consisting of two fuselages mounted side-by-side between which is the mounting assembly in which the spaceship 2 is fitted. The mothership, with Unity attached, took off horizontally from a conventional runway. Once at altitude, Unity was drop-launched and then quickly accelerated to more than three times the speed of sound on a suborbital trajectory. Three, two, one, release, release, release. Fire. Fire. Job, CJ Mack, we set set points off and Bravo complete. You're going to space. Again. Increase in pitch. Wow, look at that view. Gorgeous. Pitch trim is set. Copy, decrease in pitch. That was a great burn. Copy, Southern, fully deployed, point Charlie complete. This is so cool. Yep, there's the Sea of uh, Cortez over there. Uh, at the Baja. I can see the Baja Peninsula, right? Eh? There's Apogee. Silence of space. Yeah. Amazing colors. Resetting entry trim. Happy. That's fantastic. The winged space plane reached an altitude of just over 89.2 kilometres. That's 11 kilometres short of the Kármán line, the internationally recognised official start of space. But it's good enough for Virgin Galactic, which insists on calling any flight above 80 kilometres a space flight, using the lower American definition. This test flight assessed upgrades to the spacecraft's horizontal stabilisers, its flight control system during the boost phase of the ascent, live streaming capabilities from the spaceship to the ground, and it evaluated various elements within the cabin. 
As well as the two pilots, the mission also carried three research payloads for NASA's Flight Opportunities Program, an experimental space-based surgical system, the Collide Dust Experiment, and the Janus Electromagnetic Field Measurement Payload. After reaching its apogee, Unity began gliding back to Earth, eventually making a perfect conventional runway landing. Virgin Galactic says its next test flight will carry six crew members for the first time. As well as the two pilots, there'll be four mission specialists in order to check out what an operational flight would be like. Virgin will also shortly begin testing its new third space plane, the first of its new Spaceship 3 series, the VSS Imagine. Meanwhile, construction of a fourth space plane, the VSS Inspire, is continuing in California. Of course, Virgin's first space plane, the VSS Enterprise, was destroyed during a fatal test flight back in 2014 in the Mojave Desert. The company says it eventually hopes to be undertaking around 400 suborbital space tourism flights every year. It says it's already got more than 600 reservations, with space tourism tickets selling for around a quarter of a million dollars per seat, and the first flights expected to begin next year. Meanwhile, Virgin Galactic's primary suborbital space tourism competitor, Blue Origin, will carry its first space tourist aboard its new Shepard spacecraft on July the 20th this year, marking the date of the historic Apollo 11 manned moon landing. New Shepard, which uses a separate booster launch vehicle and capsule, has already undertaken 12 unmanned test flights to altitudes of above 100 kilometres. This is space time. Still to come, China launches a new ocean monitoring satellite, and later in the science report, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines both found to offer immunity against subtypes of COVID-19 now appearing in India. All that and much more still to come on Space Time. China has launched a new Earth observation satellite designed to study oceanography. The Haiyang-2D was launched aboard a Long March 4B rocket from the Zhuquan Satellite Launch Center in the Gobi Desert region of northwestern China's Inner Mongolia. The 1,575-kilogram spacecraft will work with its two predecessors, the Haiyang-2B and 2C, the former space-based network, monitoring the dynamic marine environment around the clock. The spacecraft features colour ocean scanners and CCD cameras capable of monitoring chlorophyll concentrations, sea surface temperatures and pollution levels. The Haiyang-2B was launched back in October 2018 on the Long March 4B rocket from the Taiyuan Satellite Launch Centre in Jiangxi Province, while the Haiyang-2C was launched in September last year by the same type of rocket from the Jiaquan Launch Centre. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study suggests both the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines offer immunity against the subtype of the SARS-CoV-2 variant known as B1617-1, which is currently tearing its way through India. However, the findings by scientists at Emory University warned that the subtype might be more resistant to antibodies than other forms of the virus. The subtypes B1617-1 and B1617-2 have both been detected with increasing frequency in India over the past few months, and both carry two mutations linked to increased transmissibility. 
Because of their quick spread, scientists are urgently trying to determine if variations of these types undermine COVID-19 vaccines. The World Health Organization now estimates up to 8 million people have been killed by the COVID-19 coronavirus, with over 3.5 million confirmed fatalities and more than 170 million people infected since the deadly disease first spread out of Wuhan, China. A new study claims the distinctive capabilities of cancer cells may be the result of reactivating pre-existing dormant genes in normal cells. A report in the journal BioEssays suggests cancer occurs through multiple steps that resurrect ancient cellular functions. These ancient functions are retained by evolution for specific purposes, such as embryo development and wound healing, and are usually turned off in the adult form of complex organisms. But these old genes can be turned back on, often through damage to the systems that kept them turned off. The authors say the resulting resurrection steps or activistic reversions give cancer cells the ability to survive, proliferate, resist therapy and metastasize. A new study has shown that ExxonMobil's public messaging on climate change has been similar to the historical tactics used by the tobacco industry in their ill-fated attempt to hide the link between smoking and cancer. The findings by scientists from Harvard University used artificial intelligence to analyse internal company documents, peer-reviewed publications and advertorials placed in the New York Times from as far back as 1972. Their report in the journal One Earth found that by the mid-2000s, the company's public communications had shifted from explicit doubt about climate change to one of framing it as a risk rather than a reality, which downplays the seriousness of climate change. Like Big Tobacco's documented strategies, the ExxonMobil adverts they analyse shifted responsibility for global warming away from the fossil fuel industry and onto consumers. A new study has found that night owls tend to send out more negative tweets than early birds. The findings, reported in the Journal of the Royal Society Open Science, show that positive and negative emotions shared in tweets often follow daily and weekly patterns. Researchers looked at around 7 million tweets where the authors mentioned themselves and some 18 million tweets about other topics. They found negative emotions were least mentioned at around 8 o'clock in the morning and increased steadily during the day until midnight. When using emojis in their tweets, people were more likely to use them to portray negative emotions during the middle of the week and least likely on Sundays. The authors say that understanding these patterns could help design socio-technical-based systems to support the emotional well-being of individuals through social media platforms. New research shows that a record number of Australians have moved to very high-speed NBN plans of 250 megabits per second and upwards. With the details on this story and more, we're joined by technology editor Alex Sahara-Vroit from ity.com. The original intent of the NBN was to give people Originally, back in 2007, a 12 megabit connection, but the government at the time realized that was a bit slow and they moved up to 100 megabit. But at the time, there were places like Japan and Hong Kong and parts of the US that were able to get gigabit connections, 1,000 megabits. And people are using this because they have many people in the family that are watching 4K Netflix streams. They're updating multiple computers at the same time. They're uploading backups. You know, the amount of data we need for all the connected devices in oh, our yeah, homes is only... Yeah growing, you're playing games as well, downloading updates for those games. That can be you know, hundreds of gigabytes, if not more in, in size. And um, with the gigabit connections, you normally need some sort of a fiber to the home type of 
service. And in Australia, many people have been surviving on 25 megabits or 50 megabits. And in fact, the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, does say that there are many people who are surviving very happily on 50 megabits or even slower speeds. But the fact is that people taking up the 250 megabit, 500 megabit and 1 gigabit, 1,000 megabit plans has grown tremendously. If you have a look at uh, the amount of people that were on 250 megabit plans in December 2020, there was 11,136. But in March 2021, we're talking just three months, that had grown to 490,000, just under half a million. So there's a huge growth there because people wanted to take up those particular plans to get even more speed. And then when we're talking about the ultra-fast connections from 500 megabits to 1,000 megabits or that one gigabit speed, that grew from just under 10,000 to almost 83,000 in the same period. So there's definitely a hunger out there for people wanting ever faster internet. And as we spoke about in the previous show, the NBN Co has expanded the number of suburbs and uh, around Australia in different cities where you can now get fiber connected directly to your home rather than to the curb or to the node down the street. Apple has launched new updates for their new operating system. Yeah, look, we're going to find out about iOS 15 later this year. It'll launch in September, but just now we've had iOS 14.6 launch. For the iPad and tvOS, we have 14.6 for their operating systems as well. And for the watch, we have 7.5. For macOS, we have Big Sur 11.4. As usual, there's a litany of security vulnerabilities that have been patched in the macOS. One of those prevents hackers from being able to take photos of you through your webcam on your Mac without the little green light coming on. So Apple has closed that particular hole. And thus, it is important that if you're running older versions of the Mac OS, you should upgrade. And if you have old computers that are too old to be updated, probably time to stop using them. And speaking of updates, uh, Apple's new M1-powered 5G iPad will update you without even needing Wi-Fi. Yes, if you want to update most of your devices, you need to be connected to Wi-Fi. But with the advent of 5G and the super fast speeds and also ever-larger data plans, it's great to see that the 5G iPad Pro, it's only available on the iPad Pro at the moment with the new M1 chip. You can set your 5G usage to a high data mode as opposed to a low data mode. You can actually choose low data if you want. But if you set it to the high data mode, then you can download what are often gigabyte plus updates to your iPad through the 5G network. Now, this doesn't yet work on the 5G-powered iPhone 12. I tried, uh, but it, it probably will come in iOS 15 along with other features and benefits. And it just goes to show that your devices really... Sh- uh, standalone devices. I shouldn't have to connect to a computer to be updated unless you still want to do it that way. That's Alex Saharov-Royd from ity.com. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. 
And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Bytes.com.